Hey, let me ask you a question. Are you a consultant? Are you a trainer or do you actually consult? Let me ask you a different way. Are you the kind of person who delivers the same training and coaching programs that everyone else out there delivers? Or do you really consult to establish what your client needs are and then add unique value in meeting those needs in a way that other providers, your competition, cannot deliver? Great question. If anyone is out there who knows what real consulting is and how you can learn to deliver unique value and be paid more than others earn for doing so, it's today's guest, Alan Weiss, international best-selling author of Million Dollar Consulting. This is episode 63 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett-Hayes, and this is the podcast for you, for training business owners, training business professionals out there. Maybe you've got a consultancy business. Maybe you have a coaching business, a training business, but somehow, somewhere, You are in the people development business. You're in the business of helping people to be the best they can be and achieve business objectives for a profit to you. That's kind of my definition of of what it is that this podcast is for and the kind of people whom it can help. So the premise of this show, and I've said this a few times, and I usually do every month, at least once or twice, the premise or goal of this show in every episode is to help you to start to grow and to scale your training business. So if that makes sense to you, you're in the right place. Now, a consultant, today's topic. A consultant is someone who provides value through specialized expertise, content, behavior, skill, or other resources to assist a client in improving the status quo in return for mutually agreed upon compensation. In simple terms, a consultant improves the client's condition. And those are not my words. Those are the words of Alan Weiss, best-selling author of Million Dollar Consulting. Alan's book was first published back in 92, as far as I know, and has been so popular year after year, it's been revised and reprinted more than five times. Alan's coaching and mentoring programs, which we address briefly in today's episode, this chat with Alan, those programs cost a premium because alumni of those programs swear by the results. Alan is, of course, today's guest and is speaking to us live from Rhode Island this morning. Hi, Alan, and welcome to the show. Thank you. In your book, um, which I've read many times, uh, Million Dollar Consultant, you write that most consultants really aren't consultants. Some trainers are also consultants, but being but being a trainer does not make one a consultant. So let's start with that, because the terms consulting and consultant are thrown around like uh, confetti at a Las Vegas drive-in wedding. When is a consultant really a consultant, and when is she just a coach or a training provider who thinks she's a consultant? Well, you know, actually, if you want to uh, preside at a Las Vegas wedding, you need more credentials than you do to be a consultant. <laughs> right. uh, so the fact is, there's no bar of, uh, you know, there's no uh, bar of entry here, which is good and both and bad. A consultant is someone who has expertise to improve the client's condition. So if you're a subcontractor, as most people in IT are, you're a pair of hands. You're coming in to do coding or some such thing. If you're truly a consultant, you're a brain, and you're coming in to advise and to help. 
So there's a big difference. And every consultant I've ever met who's any good has to also be a coach. Coaching is a subset of consulting. You have to coach people how to manifest the behaviors needed, continue the progress, the initiative, and so on. You can be a coach and not necessarily a consultant. You know, coaches interact with people often to improve a specific form of behavior. Trainers simply get in a classroom and convey skills, but of course, skills aren't applied till they're back on the job. And that's why training in the United States and in the world is pretty useless. And nobody goes about measuring the results of training, which is the United States is a $60 billion industry because it doesn't accomplish that much. So with that in mind, then let's say someone has a brief, which is to come in, upskill a team of people and do so in a way which um, the improvement can be evidenced and therefore linked to a a return on investment and uplift in business KPIs. What's missing then? Well, nothing's missing there, but what you just described is not what trainers do. Okay. So if if we said, let's say someone needs to be a a trainer and consultant, or rather a training consultant to give them the full title, um, what, what kind of abilities, competencies would they need to have and develop? Okay, so first of all, you're fooling around here with round pegs, square holes, and all kinds of things. So before I take out a hammer and smash that, let's change the frame. The fact is we're talking about expertise. Right. And I tell people today, stop calling yourself a consultant, call yourself an expert. Once you call yourself an expert, then you have the ability to determine how that expertise is manifest. It might be by training, by coaching, by consulting, by advising, by writing, by speaking, and so on and so forth at all. Consequently, that gives you the flexibility to interact with a client the way that client needs the condition improved. So that's Mm. the key thing. Now, as for the traits you need, I mean, the traits you need is obviously a high level of intellect. Uh, You need the, um, you know, most people tell you you've got to be a great listener. My feeling is that you've got to be uh, strong-willed and authoritative because you've got to be able to tell clients, to push back to clients, to instruct them that they're doing things wrong. Or if they're doing things right, to keep doing them. You know, 90% of my work corporately has been validation. And I'll tell you this, and, and this refers back to some of the training issues you talked about. Too many clients will say, here's what we need. Can you deliver a two-day workshop? Can you do five days of coaching? And what they're doing is they're prescribing the kind of intervention that's needed. And no expert should allow that to happen. The client's good at making brake pads or refrigerators or selling insurance. The client's not good at consulting. And I think that's often because people like myself, thinking of, you know, uh, recently or even a couple of years ago, we receive this brief, we get excited about the the dollar figures, we think of the money we can make, we think that the person who has engaged us is, is the expert, and therefore we're reluctant to challenge or have a kind of a strategic conversation. So... You know, what What would someone need to do to be able to big themselves up and to be able to challenge themselves and say, right, I need to be able to connect with this person at a business level and not just take the order in a transactional way? Well, there are two things. The first thing is to understand that you're providing value. You're not trying to get business. Uh, and if you believe you're providing value, then you'll do it honestly. You'll push back when necessary and you never feel like you're intruding or asking for something. If you think, you know, you're getting up because you need to sell something to pay the mortgage, then you're going to be in big trouble because you're trying to get money. That leads me to my second point, which is most consultants I see in a sales situation are trying not to lose the business instead of trying to gain the business. And consequently, they concede, they compromise, uh, they discount, uh, they listen too much to the client. 
Instead, you've got to point a finger at the client. You've got to say, no, no, you're going about this wrong. Here's how we ought to do this. But when you try not to lose business, you either wind up losing it anyway or with bad business. Yeah, I think often it's the case that people who kind of push back, if they have the confidence to do so, are doing so with HR people, people who've got perhaps no authority to make a decision. They've simply been told, go out to market and find a training provider because we need, uh, let's say, leadership training or resilience training. So does that resistance, that kind of pushback work with, with, with particular people and not other people? Mark, I hope all your listeners hear the following. You know, I believe in the 1% solution, which is if you improve by 1% a day in 70 days, you're twice as good. You can do the math. Not enough of my clients do that. So here's possibly the 1%. Never, ever talk to HR people under any conditions. HR stands for hardly relevant, okay? There's a reason that these people are in HR. There's nothing else to be done with them, okay? They're useless. And so what you need to do is just use them as leverage to find the real buyer. Only talk to real buyers, and real buyers are people who have budget to invest. HR people are task-oriented, they're fulfilling orders for someone else, and they are afraid of their shadows. So never talk to HR people. If you do, it's your own problem. Okay. You estimate that um, 50% of consultants don't know what they're doing, and 90% of potential buyers don't know this until it's too late. They're pretty alarming figures. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the trouble is, like I said, there's no bar to entry. So consequently... Uh, Half of the consultants are either playing it by ear or they're looking at someone else's metrics or they're looking at someone else's methodology. And like you said before, they're trying to make a buck. 90% of buyers don't know that because they're used to their human resource people who are worthless and hopeless. uh, Or they're listening to some kind of spiel uh, from the potential consultants. They don't know how to choose consultants. This is a relationship business. And the way that you get business as as an expert is peer-to-peer reference. You forget social media, forget LinkedIn, forget Facebook, Twitter, forget all this stuff. The, the literature over the last 10 years is unimpeachable, and that is executives make buying decisions based on peer-to-peer reference. So the question is, how do you get onto those radar screens? Right, that is the question. So what do you suggest? My suggestion is the following, not difficult. And don't forget, I've written 63 other books, and they're in 15 languages, and some of these secrets are in there. So what you do is... Uh, you ask yourself or you ask your buyers, what are you reading? And that's where you publish. Where are you hanging out? And that's where you network. What do you attend? And that's where you speak. And mostly you go to your current contacts and buyers at that level and you ask for referrals and you ask assiduously and you ask with discipline. Referral business is the best way to get business. And there are three aspects here. When you get a piece of business, you get the original check for it. But then you also have the potential for referral business, and you also have the potential for expansion business within that client. Most consultants leave two of those three sources of money on the table. And you talk about in the book um, three ways you suggest a consultant can be discovered, and you call them platinum, gold, and silver, which, of course, is very it's very accessible as a concept. So platinum is word of mouth. Um, whom else do you know who need, uh, might need my services? That's having delivered work for someone with which they're satisfied. Gold, which is a commercially published book, uh, which is a daunting prospect for many people thinking about this. And silver is, of course, an outstanding body of work, blog posts, uh, IP, uh, your own programs, etc. Why don't we just go into those a little bit in each case? So we've talked about the, the referral, which is the the fact that um, there's nothing like referral. So once we've done something for someone and they're happy with it, we can leverage that uh, productivity, that accomplishment, and get them to refer us to other people. 
Um, moving on to Gold, a commercially published book. Now, you've written many, many books, um, quite a body of literature. Where would someone start with that if they want to publish a book? I'm going to go back one step here okay. about referrals because there's a qualitative aspect. If you want to get referrals, you can't just say, give me names. You have to say, I'd like to meet your counterpart on the West Coast, or I'd like to meet Mary Jones, uh, who I know heads your uh, operational division. So you need to ask for a hierarchical position or a name, specifically for the introduction. I just want to mention that's a qualitative fact. Okay. Now, if you want to write a book, uh, first of all, assume you have something to write about. Uh, you have basically two choices. You can commercially publish or self-publish. If you're in a narrow niche, you're consulting for managing partners of small law firms, that's a narrow niche, you can self-publish. There's no credibility problem. If you want to publish in, oh, leadership or strategy or change management or these evergreen topics, then you need commercially published books because uh, that's a highly competitive and wide field. You need the credibility. What you do is you write a book proposal and you send that proposal to an agent or an acquisitions editor or publisher. You're best off asking friends of yours, colleagues who have published, to introduce you to an agent or their acquisitions editor. And there's, there are eight or nine steps for a book proposal. They're formulaic. I help people with this all the time. Do not get in the mode that you cannot write a book. Everybody's written books. Everybody and their dog has written books. If they can do it, you can do it. So is, as long as you have a formula, you can get the book proposal done. After that, you simply write the rest of the book. It's not difficult unless you keep telling yourself that it is. Right, and that kind of leads nicely to to the silver part of your model, which is uh, an outstanding body of work or blog posts. So I would imagine that some of the blog posts, at least, could be leveraged, could be repurposed to form the basis of chapters of what then becomes the book. Well, ideally, you're talking about intellectual property. So intellectual property can be a 500-word blog post or a 90,000-word book. It depends how much you have to say. You know, I'd also point out that, you know, when you talk about, it's not just blogs. I talk about it now that you have to be in the public square, meaning your IP has to be understood, at least within your field, by a wide variety of people. So you should be doing video. Video is extremely popular today. You should be doing audio like these podcasts, which is why I'm doing it with you. You need to do, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to publish not only on blogs, but you need to put out newsletters. You know, I put out six columns a month including a weekly uh, called Monday Morning Memo, which uh, gets the highest response of anything I do. So you have to be in the public square so people can recognize you because the ultimate brand is your name. I don't care how cute the name is of your company, the ultimate brand is your name. Get me Alan Weiss. That's a great point. Uh, it, it comes back to personal credibility because if people don't have a personal connection, um, irrespective of the brand name, the company, they're not going to refer you because it's hard to refer a company much more realistic to refer a person within the company. Well, it's also it's also a trusting business, trusting relationships, and you don't trust a corporate name, you trust a person. Right. Something else in your book which which really caught my eye uh, was the suggestion that the average consultant sells the activity. In other words, she or he sells their leadership program, their resilience program, their customer service program, whereas a million-dollar consultant sells the outcome, which is what the buyer actually wants. And the result of that is that the buyer focuses on the quantity of what uh, the consultant's doing and therefore dollars for, for days or hours. And I've been guilty of that so many times. Let's explore that perennial problem for our listeners, the idea that you, we as consultants go in and we sell the actual activity, the program, rather than what the actual person wants in terms of a business outcome? Well, you know, we, we're delusional. We think that our presence is important. We feel that what we deliver, the task is important. It's not. I mean, you can help people with their communication skills till the cows come home, 
<clears throat> but if it doesn't improve the business, then what good is it? That's true. And so uh, you always have to start at the end result and work backwards. And that way, the client doesn't care how often you're there. I mean, if I can solve somebody's problem in five minutes, I'm worth a hell of a lot more than somebody who takes five weeks. But we have to have the self-confidence and the self-esteem to understand that. I mean, the problem with consulting is that people don't trust their own judgment and they have low self-esteem. They feel like imposters. And so consequently, they put their, their price tag on something tangible, which is their being in a given physical place at a given time. So what, what kind of questions would someone get comfortable asking to be able to distinguish themselves from the people who come in and try to sell a program? Where would someone or how would someone sound uh, strategic or, or shall we say strong, confident? How, what kind of questions would they be asking to distinguish themselves from someone else who just comes in and, and sells that program? Well, let's say you, you know, I was referred to you and I'm sitting in your office and after the pleasantries, I say to you, Mark, what would it be? What is it that prompted you to spend time with me today? And you say to me, you know, well, Alan, we, we need some training on employee retention because our attrition is too high. And I would say, and why do you feel that way? And you'd say, well, you know, the, indi- the industry average is 8% and we've got 15%. And I'd say, but why do you think that's bad? Isn't new blood important? Uh, you know, what, what's the result you'd like to see? And you'd say, well, you know, we want to retain people who have the talent to be innovative and to push us forward. And we don't need to retain people who just get into the status quo. And I would say, well, why don't we look at creating a more innovative and creative organization and worry about what that looks like in nutrition later? You suggest that if people listening to this, uh, you know, are, are having client conversations centered around days and dollars and deliverables, they're speaking to the wrong person. I know we're kind of going backwards a bit here, but but how would someone navigate a new client organization if, if they're traditionally focused on HR? That's the person they would typically write to. Um, they're using LinkedIn. How do they get in the door and, and convince someone they've not yet met, apart from, let's say they've no means of referral, but they're looking at this large organization. They see the people on, on LinkedIn. How would they actually get in the door and convince someone, hey, it's worth giving you five minutes, giving you five minutes of my time or vice versa, to actually have a conversation. Stop it. Stop doing that. It's no way to do business. You don't cold call. When's the last time you bought anything large, anything major from a cold call? We don't do that. If you don't do it, why would somebody else? So so the answer is, I mean, if you you find $100 on the street tomorrow, you don't go out the next morning saying, this is my career. I'm going to go find $100 bills on the street. So if once, you know, in 10,000 times you're successful with a cold call, it still doesn't mean it's the way to do business. So my suggestion is, if you want to do business with organizations, understand your value, number one. Number two, understand who your ideal buyer is. And number three, ask yourself, how can you be introduced? How do you get on the radar screen? How can they read what you've written? How will they hear you speak? How can you network them at an event? But forget trying to storm the walls of the fortress. It's not going to work. Coming back to to the beginning for you, Alan, um, You've you've learned this stuff the hard way, I guess the the school of hard knocks. And so far as you know, you, you've accumulated massive experience. What was it like for you when you began in consulting? What kind of you know war stories can you share with us? Well, I was fired. You know, in 1985, I was president of the consulting firm. I was fired. So I'm sitting there with you know there must have been 250,000 independent consultants in America. I mean, it's a serious figure I'm quoting. And I said, okay, now what do I do? I have big debts and I have very little reserves. And I decided I would call everyone I knew. And I would tell them what I was doing, and I would look to get appointments. And if they were buyers, I'd talk about what I could do for them. And if they weren't buyers, I'd talk about how I could get to the buyers. And that was 1985. Uh, And I began to get business. And as I got business, 
uh, you know, the first year I made 67,000 and the next year I made 125. I kept asking for referrals, referrals, referrals. I got more business. In 88, I wrote my first book and now I've written 64. So seldom has 18 months gone by without me writing a book. And, uh, you know, books are not going out of style. They're extraordinarily of high, high credibility. And so, you know, as I walked to these buyers' offices, you know, Mark, I realized they have the same emotional issues, they have the same complaints, they have the same problems as anybody. They're just playing with some more money. And so I developed trusting relationships. I never, ever build by a time unit. And I had to educate them. I had to say, here's how we're going to partner, and here's how I'm going to pay. Here's how you're going to pay me, because this is how partners work. And I get equitable compensation in terms of the results I deliver which are going to be a, a dramatic ROI for you. And once I started doing that and working at that level, word about me traveled in that, on those radar screens I talked about, and I've never stopped. So how much traveling do you do? Because I think you've, you've said to me that you've been to Hanoi recently in Dubai. Just give us an idea of the kind of uh, the mileage you do per year uh, bringing this message worldwide. Well, you have to understand, I go where I want when I want. And so I went to Hanoi and people came to hear me speak there. Uh, I go to Bora Bora or I go to um, um, Sydney. I'll be in Sydney in March. I was in Malta earlier this year and then Sicily. Uh, I can tell people I'm going to be in this city. My wife and I decide we want to go someplace and people come and pay $15,000 to sit down with me. And, you know, uh, that's that's good work. You know, and I, I travel like a prince. So it's not the mileage I put in. It's Here's wealth. Wealth is discretionary time. So wealth is deciding where you go, when you go on your own terms, not by somebody else pointing a finger. And. Uh, once you have that capacity in life, you're truly wealthy. So the amount of, you know, I, I might do a hundred thousand miles a year. I know I'm closing in on 4 million air miles going back to the seventies, but I don't care about that. What I care about is how I'm living my life. And I, I'm living a very joyous, blessed life because I'm able to bring value to people who are willing to pay to be with me. Yeah. And I can't say I'm jealous. <laughs> I can't say I'm not jealous. That, that's, that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, so you're right. It's it's not the, I think someone said recently, uh, happiness is not um, having what you want, it's wanting what you have. It's it's recognizing that you've reached uh, a point where it isn't about accru- accruing miles anymore or, or clients or money. It's actually about being able to spend that time and spend those uh, those moments w- with people you love and, and doing the things that you love to do. So I take it you love consulting. I take it you love helping people with through mentoring programs. Yeah, I mean, I, right, I've moved 90, 95% now to, to reta- uh, retail. I have some corporate clients, but mostly I'm helping individuals in a variety of different configurations, and I'm helping them succeed. You know, I just got off a coaching call with a woman in San Francisco before I, I did this podcast, and I'll be talking at 2 o'clock my time today to one of my growth cycles in Australia, so it's called the Pacific Rim Group. So uh, I do enjoy helping people, and if I if I don't enjoy it, I'll stop doing it because you have to be passionate about what you do. And uh, you know, it's interesting what you just said a few minutes ago. The fact is, I've always told people you should love going on vacation, and then you should love going home. <laughs> All right, <laughs> because if you don't, there's a problem. That's right. So um, speaking very briefly about the uh, the million dollar consultant. Uh, mentoring programs, what, what kind of what kind of uh, benefits do you bring to people who become members of those programs, if they qualify for them, of course? You can work with me one-on-one for seven months, uh, and we create, you know, tremendous power around just three or four key objectives. It might be going into new markets, it might be writing a book, it might be raising fees, uh, but it's, it's a one-on-one, unrestricted relationship, total access. I mean, I might even um, review your proposals. I might help you prepare, prepare for a meeting. It's, it's very one-on-one and very uh, timely. 
Uh, I have master mentors, people I've trained who work with you for six months, you know, on a, a, a somewhat lower intensity basis uh, to help people move forward with their practices. These are basically newer people. I have growth cycles where I get together from four to eight or 10 people in various parts of the world who get together three or four times a year. And we have dinners, the social part of it's very important, and but we spend two, two and a half days together in wonderful locations talking about business and how to improve on a strategic level. Uh, I have dramatic events that I put on. I just did something called by invitation only um, in uh, Dubrovnik. Uh, next year is gonna be in Corsica, the year after that in Buenos Aires. Uh, I have um, the Million Dollar Consulting Convention, which is gonna be in, in uh, Sydney in March. Uh, next week, I'm doing the Million Dollar Consulting College uh, here in Newport, where I always do it in Rhode Island. Uh, all of these are very high level events, just an example of them. Uh, you know, and I do unique things. For example, in, in January, I'm doing something on how you create dynamic communities because I have these communities around the world. So how do you do it with your clients? So all of these things people can participate in, as well as all my free stuff. You can also, you know, enroll in Growth Access, which gives you access to all of my intellectual property on a lifetime basis. There's about $100,000 of material in there. So my feeling is, you know, I'm an expert. I'm going to make that expertise available in as many different ways as I can. And I would imagine that um, people listening to this quite like the idea of at some point being in the position where you are and you have intellectual property, you have programs. Does that stuff, is that stuff which all came to you um, in one go? Was it something you, that you were mentored with in terms of, you know, the necessity of creating a brand like Million Dollar Consultant, of registering IP, of creating programs, of building mentorship programs? You know, is that something you, you came across or is that something you were shown how to do? Well, I think it evolved, you know, and as I realized I had this global community, you know, somebody like Seth Godin, who does very good work, he talks about tribes. I, I don't agree with that. I talk about communities. Tribes are excluding people. Communities include people. They're inclusive. And so as I realized I had this community, it was also a great laboratory. And I'd find out what people wanted, but then I'd also create need. I did this with corporations too. Everybody knows what they want. They seldom know what they need. So I, I produce what they need and I'd introduce it globally and people have the opportunity to deal with me virtually through audio and video and books and, and on my online forums, which operate 24 seven or in person, in reality, in these events that I host. And that, that gives something for everybody. And it also keeps me sharp because I, my fingers constantly on the pulse of what's going on. So I know what the most highly sophisticated consultants in the world do, because I'm coaching them. And I also know what newcomers need because they're part of my networks as well. So what would you think is around the corner? Because I'm sure you have another book up your sleeve uh, at this point. What kind of things do you think are coming down the line or trends you see or foretell in terms of consultancy worldwide? Well, my next book is Fearless Leadership, and it comes out in uh, the end of December. Uh, and you can get that on my site. In fact, I, we have pre-publication bonuses, so I'll put a plug in for that, alanweiss.com. But to answer your question about what I see around the corner, uh, if you take a look at telehealth as an analogy and you realize that people are getting health uh, um, accommodation through you know, mobile devices, I think you're going to see the same with consulting. Consulting is going to become more and more remote. And uh, if I were consulting with a firm in Hanoi and not dealing with individuals, there really be no reason for me to go there. Uh, we could do it through um, virtual reality. Uh, we could do it simply through Zoom calls. We could do it through, you know, interactive meeting, but I think you'll see more and more remote consulting. Just as if you want an excellent doctor who's on another continent and she or he can participate remotely through technology, the same with consulting. I also think around the corner, the biggest emerging uh, economy is going to be Africa. 
And, you know, if there, if there are 90 countries in Africa, 60 of them uh, uh, now have freed themselves of the old dictators and old colonialism and corruption. And they're going to be uh, excellent opportunities for investment as middle classes rise, as industry is created, as services are created. And I think Africa is going to be the next new big economy. Right. Okay. Well, I hope to hear more about that because um, I'm always trying to keep my ear to the ground in terms of what's coming around the corner. Conscious of your time, Alan, uh, where can listeners find out more about you? You've mentioned your book briefly, alanvice.com. Where else would you like me to direct listeners to the resources you've mentioned? Well, that's very kind of you. If you just go to alanweiss.com, uh, you'll find all of my free columns, my free video, my free audio. Download whatever you like. You're welcome to it. You'll also find all of my offerings that you can pay to be a part of. Uh, you'll find my forums, which you can be a part of, which is which are, as I said, constantly going you know, globally. But then this growth access, uh, which you know, for, for $5,000, you can get access to $100,000 of materials as you need it. I mean, imagine you're about to go to an a meeting and you can watch the video in the buyer's office. It's just invaluable stuff. So, you know, whether you want to spend something or not, I invite you to those resources. Alan, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. Thanks so much for your time and speaking to us live from Rhode Island. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. Alan, thanks so much for being our guest on the show this morning. I learned a phenomenal amount and I'm sure that you our listeners did as well. And of course, to our listeners, I'd like to thank you for tuning in again this week for another episode of the podcast. Thank you for your listenership and for your loyalty, as well as for suggestions as to the kinds of content, the kinds of topics and the kinds of guests to help you with your training business journey. We'd love you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts because, as I say, in most episodes, this helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests who want to help you with your training business entrepreneurial journey and who, who doesn't want that if you're in this industry we all want to improve you can check out the podcast every single week on apple podcasts on stitcher spotify and i believe on google podcasts and a couple of other platforms where the episodes end up i'm okay with that because the more people who find the show uh, the better the show can be by garnering feedback from our listeners to understand exactly in what ways the episode and our guests are helping you. And of course, if not, and I, I would have hope that's not the case, but if it is the case, we'd love to know from you by direct feedback what kinds of content and episodes would help you with your training business. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. So of course, that's the logical place to join the conversation and leave suggestions and feedback in terms of what you'd like to have more of on the show or even content we've not yet addressed. And of course, we have lots of ideas as to guests we hope to have on the show. In fact, we plan to have on the show in 2020. And of course, the kinds of topics that will help you in your training business. There's a fresh episode, of course, next Thursday. Now, before we wrap up for today, there's only a few weeks left until the end of 2019. Uh, the time of recording this episode is November 2019. So we'd love to see you finish off the business year with new clients and more sales. And with that in mind, in a couple of weeks' time, I'll give you the exact date next week, we will have an episode dedicated to helping you to plan your training business for 2020 and make it the best possible year that you can. So until then, until next Thursday, I look forward to your company. Bye for now. Bye for now. 
Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.